0: Hello everyone, welcome to the first ever Marty Smith's America podcast. Uh, I'm your host Marty Smith and it would only be fitting for me to include my man Ryan McGee, my running mate for what dude, 15 years now at ESPN.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Uh,
0: we've, we've been there a long time. I Actually, I think, yeah, let me see, this is 2018. Yes, yeah, it's year 12 for me. It's pretty crazy. Um but my, my main idea in having the Marty Smith's America podcast was I didn't feel like there was really a show that really dove into people's lives with a lot of depth and really got into their minds about the climb and about what they care about and why they care about it and life experiences and all those types of things. And as any of you guys who are already – consumers of what I do and what Brian and I do together know I'm a music fanatic. Um, I love to dissect music. I love all different genres. I grew up loving all different genres. I love to write it. I'm not very good at that Uh, and it's just something that about which I'm overwhelmingly passionate and so is McGee and we incorporate that into our program together, the Marty and McGee radio uh, program. And it's something that he and I talk about all the time and that I talk about with my friends more than any other topic. And so it's, uh, it's wonderful that uh, Jason Aldean, the country music star joined me for a really in-depth conversation. He I felt like was pretty vulnerable, uh, and, and open and honest about, uh, his climb to superstardom and uh some of the things that he's experienced and before we get to jason uh mcgee and i are just going to spend a, a few minutes here talking about our passion for music and how it kind of directs our lives and we're both we're both uh old school country guys yeah big time like old school like waylon willie yeah. johnny cash yeah. Christofferson. uh you know those are Vern gosden those are our guys man we love that That's uh, mid 70s all the way through the, the mid 80s era of country music. And any of you guys know that know anything about me know I love the 90s. It's my favorite era ever.
1: And I, you know, and it's funny with the 90s too is you, and you know this about me. I get, I, I, I get a little sensitive about the 90s because I think when it was good, it was so good. Yeah, man. And then when it was bad and that, and I'm talking about the latter half of the decade, it took a turn. Why are you hating on Gar's shirt, man? It, but listen, but again, but the one or two songs that I really like, I really, really like. But I was, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I I'm love that tug of war in the 90s between you had Randy Travis from Marshville, North Carolina, which is just up the road, on the way to my grandma's house, and Randy Trawick he was back then. Randy Trawick. And you had Alan Jackson, and you had George Strait, and you had the guys that to me, the, the Judds, they kept it, they kept it close to the roots. Whereas people like Garth took it
0: in other places. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes Well, here's games, the thing. Here's the did. thing that's indisputable about where Garth took it. Garth took country music to a level of mainstream and a level of pop that very few artists did, have, or could. And so no matter what your opinion of him
1: is, that's indisputable. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I was living in, of all places, I was living in
0: Connecticut when he really, when it hit, man, when he took off. September 2015, I think it was, was it 15 or 14? Actually, I think it might have been 2014. A good friend of of McGee and, and me is a guy named Eddie Jarvis. And Eddie has kind of run Tony Stewart, uh, the NASCAR star's life, for the last 20 years. And Eddie knows Garth and Tricia really well. And so Eddie knew that I had never seen Garth. And so it, that fall... Uh, Chicago, Illinois, the NASCAR uh, Sprint Cup Series at the time was racing in Chicago for the start of their playoff, and Eddie got tickets for me, uh, another buddy of mine, Danica Patrick, and a couple of other people. And so we go to the arena, Allstate Arena, I think is what it's called, in, in Chicago there, Greater Chicago, and saw Garth play. And we got the opportunity to meet him and Tricia and hang out a little while. And it was pretty cool and I was floored by his show. I was absolutely blown away by his show. It's a rock uh, show. Uh, it was a, a lot of energy yep. and I, I might be crazy, but I think he was playing two shows that day. Yeah. I think we saw the first of two. I think we saw like a seven o'clock and then I think he had like a 10. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. That's what but, he did
1: though. He, he, he turned, he, he
0: graduated,
1: right? He took it and he turned it into the rock show. And well, and, and one and, of those and,
0: and, guys, and one of those guys who, who is a rock, uh, I mean, took, brought that rock sound, brought the heavy electric guitar sound to Nashville is Jason Aldean. He was on the original
1: Marty and McGee podcast. The Jason Aldean was he was. I didn't remember that. No, the, the interview that you recorded with him. Uh, really? I believe, I believe it was in Athens,
0: right? Well, then this is just serendipitous. This is meant to right. be.
1: That, right that, that's what, so, so when I heard you were doing this podcast, which I'm very excited about, and when I heard that Dean was uh, the second guest, I'm the first guest, I'm just going to go on and claim that title. <laughs> when when I heard Dean was going to be on, I was like, that's perfect, because in the early formative earth still cooling days of Marty and McGee, we used to do a podcast – down at the ESPN radio affiliate, 730 in Charlotte. It was literally, it was in a little makeshift studio above like an insurance adjuster's office. Yep. And it was you and me, and we had, uh, we had, you had your guitar, and I had, I yeah, had this dog toy right here. Where's the Dale Jr. Dale call? Hold and on. We, hang on. And we, and we had, uh, let's see, is this it here? I got it. There you go. We doubled Dale Jr. it up. Dale call. And we had, we we had Jason Aldean. You had recorded your interview with him in Athens and we played it on the podcast. So, that, so fun. early on, dude, it had have been one of the very first shows.
0: So that's I had completely go. I'm, gonna start, that, I'm gonna but start crying,
1: man. I'm gonna start crying like I'm listening to a good Merle song.
0: We'll go ahead and get to the interview now, but I want you guys to know I've been an acquaintance of Jason's for some time and a fan for a long time, and I will say in this interview you'll hear him discuss the climb to the top of the nashville mountain what it's like how difficult it is what it's like to fail miserably and wonder if it's over uh he discusses that natural natural national championship heartbreak for his georgia bulldogs man and the most telling part of the interview to me is some of you may not know jason was on stage he was performing on stage when the terrible Route 91 festival tragedy occurred in Las Vegas, Nevada. So he lived that firsthand, and he goes into quite a bit of detail, more detail than I've ever heard, in his personal emotion in the moment, the shock in the moment, and how difficult the aftermath truly was. So I think you'll find this interview enlightening, inspiring, and certainly uh, very telling about the man and all he's experienced. Here's Jason Aldean on the Marty Smith America podcast. First of all, I want to say thank you because you are the first ever guest on the Marty Smith America podcast, which means you're kind of like the Buggles on MTV back in the day when MTV um, debuted.
2: Yeah, I'm the guinea pig. You're the actually, guinea pig, bro. Yeah.
0: That's good, though. We appreciate
2: you. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Here today on behalf of one of your partners, Field & Stream, So we appreciate that. And so let's start outside. How did your love of the outdoors form?
2: Man, you know, I think, um, my dad and my grandfather were, uh, big into fishing and and sort of as I was growing up, my, uh, you know, my granddad started and then obviously taught my dad and, you know, and then as I was coming up, I kind of would go fishing with both of them. And then, uh, you know, hunting season would roll around and, and we would all, I lived in Georgia, but my parents got divorced when I was three and my dad lived in Florida. So every year Thanksgiving, my dad would come to Georgia for a week and, you know, we would go hunt for a week. And so, you know, I kind of started my, my love of hunting that way. And, uh, but my dad lived in South Florida. So when I was down at his house for the summers, we had a boat, you know, and used to go offshore fishing all the time and like down in the Keys and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I really kind of found a love for that pretty early on and, uh, you know, and it's just, I don't know, man, it's just been fun. I mean, as long as I can remember, I was, you know, getting on a boat and, or, or going in, into the woods and, and hunting or, or whatever. So it's just kind of been, uh, one of those things for me that I, I don't ever remember time I wasn't doing those things.
0: So it wasn't just love of the outdoors. It was dad time. It was dad time man, that, that and my
2: grandfather, because I'm named after my grandfather. Okay, so, okay. um, you know, that was always kind of cool to be able to like, you know, I kind of had a special bond with him too. And. And, uh, he, you know, obviously he was a little older, he passed away when I was about 12, but, um, you know, it was always kind of cool. Like some of my best memories of, of hanging out with him were, were, you know, doing stuff like that, fishing and I'd, I'd go to Florida and, you know, just, just me and him would go out for the day. And he was one of those guys that wanted to get there really early in the morning and fish until he couldn't see his bobber anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it was uh when you went fishing with him, it was an all day event.
0: And you have parlayed this into one hell of a business, dude. So all right, let's talk Buck Commander real quick. You, Willie Robertson, Luke Bryan, couple ball players.
2: Yeah. How did that come to be? You know, Buck Commander was uh one of those things. Luke and I actually came on board uh, a few years into that. But when we came on board, it was Adam LaRoche, Chipper Jones, uh, Ryan Langerhans, and Tombo Martin were the ball players, and then you know Willie was part of it, and uh, another guy named Matt Duff, and those were the owners, and so fast forward and and we just we knew Roche, we knew adam la roach so that was kind of how i i kind of got my foot in that door was i played i did the national anthem at a braves game and uh after i did that Roche sent the the little clubhouse guy up to get my phone number and i was like, and i grew up a braves fan i'm from georgia so you know always been a big braves fan and so i was like man this is cool you know and so I, we exchanged numbers and and um Just kind of started talking over the phone and, you know, I invited him out to some shows and, uh, he invited me to, uh, to Kansas to the E3 ranch, which is his ranch and and invited me to come hunting with, with the buck commander guys. So Luke knew Roche on his own. Like actually at this time, me and Luke really didn't even know each other that well. So, um, so I went that fall, I went and did a, a benefit concert for, for the home, for his hometown there for Roche's hometown in Fort Scott, Kansas. And, uh, spent a few days hunting with those guys and just kind of getting to know them and, and started getting to know Luke a little bit. And that was kind of how he and I became friends was actually through Buck Commander. And, um. Two Georgia boys,
0: both want the same thing, both on the same path to
2: Nashville and you meet in the woods. Yeah. And, and we were p- playing the same clubs in Georgia, but never crossed paths. So it was kind of crazy. But, um, but when I was at Roachies, Chipper was, Chipper Jones was there and was part of it. So, uh, the next month, they were going down to his ranch in Texas to hunt, and so Chipper invited me down there, so i tagged along for that deal and, and really just kind of fell into it that way. And a couple years later, uh, Matt Duff and, and Chipper left Buck Commander to start uh, Major League Bowhunter. And so when they left, two of the owners had left, and so it was just kind of a natural thing that Luke and I just kind of came in and and bought into it and became the other two owners and, Interesting. and so yeah, so it was cool, but man it's it's a lot of fun. I love all those guys,
0: so do you take okay, you got two little girls
2: yeah all right do they go in the woods? you know they got bows and and all that stuff. I started trying to teach them how to shoot bows and and I even had them little little bB guns and stuff when when they were little, but uh you know they they do it's um my oldest one's 15 now, so she's kind of just like she's into she's she's into like volleyball. Volleyball is her thing, so she loves that. My little one, who's 10 now, Kendall she's uh she's the softball player, and um and Kendall likes to fish. She she's more of a she's more on the fishing side, so um and keely just kind of like if i take her i have to like bait her hook and like if she gets a fish on like i gotta come take it off and i'm like you're 15 you should know how to do this right by now you know yeah, i think they dig the fishing part of it more than the hunting
0: and now you got a little boy yeah how long for that one's in the woods
2: man it, it depends his mom is uh mom is she, not she is uh she is like an animal lover to like the umpteenth degree, right? House so, divided, Jason. Yeah, I mean, she made me promise that I wouldn't hunt on our property where we live, like where, where our house is. She's like, "No hunting here." You know, I want to be able to look at them and all this stuff, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" I thought it was a bad joke for a second. I went and and got a lease that's you know ten minutes from my house, so that's where I hunt, and I just have to watch them. It's like a petting zoo at our house. Pretty soon, every animal in <laughs> in our county is going to be on our farm because they know it's the safest place to be. Refuge. Yeah. I love
0: it. All right, so we got a new record out,
2: coming out, yeah, April thirteenth. April thirteenth, yep. All right, new
0: record coming out. Uh, I have been supplied a an early copy. I have listened to it. The title track is fantastic. Thank you. The man. track with Miranda Lambert is fantastic. Thank They're you. Really man. good. So uh, I I want to go through this uh, creative process of choosing songs when you're at the, the level you are in Nashville. I imagine, like I looked at the writer list. You got Bobby Pinson. You got Casey Beathard. You got the Ballers. Okay. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like when you are handed the best songs in Nashville from which to choose for every album.
2: You know, it's, it can't be, I know it's an embarrassment of riches. It's a long, it's a long process, man. And it it is, I mean, I I think back to like when I was, you know, first started making records and and I was a new artist and it was, it was harder to get those songs. You know, I mean, obviously songwriters want to be, uh, want to have their songs on, on the, biggest artists in town and and that they think are going to sell the most records, you know, it's just the kind of the way it works. But, and it was a lot harder to get those songs early on. Um, you know, and I moved to Nashville as a songwriter. So, you know, even for this record, like I, I tried to write a lot for this record and, and man, when I write, I'm like my own worst critic. I get into it with my, producer because he wants me to record all these things i'm writing yeah he wants me to record the stuff i'm writing and i'm just so hard on my own stuff that i'm just like man neil thrasher just turned this thing in that was way better than this thing i just wrote you know and so i end up you know even though i write and and still do that stuff i end up leaning more towards other people's stuff and and so uh you know but it's easier man it's easier now obviously to get those songs and um you know it's nice when a lot of times, even now when we're going into the studio to start recording, uh, you know, all the writers know that we're going in. So some of our guys start, just start specifically writing for our record, you know, Neil Thrasher and David Lee Murphy and some of those guys. So, um, you know, and then they start bringing things in and, and it's, it's cool, man. It's a lot easier than it was in the beginning because, you know, before, you know, people were giving you the songs from the, from the bottom shelf. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like, man, this, nobody's cut this song in five years, but maybe you'll cut it. You know, it's kind of that. <laughs> That sort of thing. And, and I've always been a really, I've always been really hard on, on songs, like picking songs and making sure that it was something that fit what I did. And, and really, you know, if I was going to sing somebody else's songs, I wanted it to, to represent me and, you know, almost feel like a song that, that I wrote, you know, and so I've always been really hard on those things. And, uh, you know, now we got guys that are kind of locked into, to what it is that I do. And, and so they can write for the record, but. Uh, there's some good ones in town, man. I mean some of the best songwriters in the world are in town it's and it's ridiculous. like I'm not even gonna kid myself and act like I'm uh in the same league as far as songwriting goes, so it's um uh, it's nice when they come up and hand you big old hits like that. It's 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 good.
0: So what's the most important song you've ever cut?
2: Um I think I mean I'd have to say uh, you know, Dirt Road Anthem was the one that really kind of sent it over the edge, you know, it was like People sort of point to that album, which had my kind of party and dirt road anthem, and uh, the duet with Kelly Clarkson. So, and that was a huge, that been my biggest record so far. But uh, it four was four times act, platinum. Yeah, and it's it's it was the album before that that really kind of set the tone, though. It was, you know, the album before had she's country and big, big green, green tractor, tractor and like, the truth, and and so all of a sudden it was like, man, we were starting to pick up some steam, and then. You know, fast forward, the next album comes out, and and My Kind of Party and Dirt Road and all these things start to hit. And Dirt Road was really the one that kind of sent it over the edge. But She's Country was the one that kind of started, it kind of started like the buzz, you know. It was like, hmm, because the first record came out and did well. You know, it, it did pretty well for a new artist, and then the second album came out and didn't do as well as the first one. So we were kind of in this situation of like... Okay, this can go one of two ways here. Either we you know, when the third album, we were getting ready to, to start recording that, we had one of two ways we could go. We could fall off the map and probably just be gone at that point. Or, you know, we could do what we did, which was come out with, uh, you know, a completely different sounding record and, and really kind of started to, to lock in on like what it was that was, that was my thing. And, uh, she's country, man. As soon as that thing hit, it was like, it was, a it was, it was over. I mean, as soon as that hit, it was like that tractor, uh, the truth. And I think crazy town might've been on that record too. And it was just like, man, it was just such a big record. People look at the, my kind of party record, but it was the wide open record that really set the tone for, for that to be a, a big record.
0: So difficult to make it in that town.
2: It is I mean, man. It's
0: so difficult to make it. How would you describe the challenge? of making it and what is the definition of making it in your mind
2: um you know I, I would say the challenge is just uh you know finding what sets you apart from all the other people in town you know and and it's hard because it's like you start doing something you start you know you you come up with this sound or you come up with these things that that's different that kind of set you apart and then you turn around and everybody else is starting to do the same thing you were doing. You're like, all right, well, I got to do something different than that now. So you know, you're almost constantly having to reinvent yourself a little bit, and uh, you know, which is cool in a way. It's kind of flattering because uh, you know, when when you're one of those acts, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but when you're one of those acts that that the the whole genre kind of follows and what they're doing, you know, and and uh, you know, it's cool to to sort of be that trailblazer a little bit. At the same time, you're like, man, okay, well, now everybody's doing my thing. i got to come up with something different, <laughs> right. you know? So it, that's a little challenging. Um, So, you know, it's it's tough, man. It, it's hard to cut through where there's so many great singers and great artists in town. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I listen to a guy like Stapleton, and I'm like, man, I, sh- I should never even sing into a microphone because this guy is the best singer I've ever heard, you know? um, You know, and, and I listen to, like, songs like some of Eric Church's stuff, you know, and he's just – such a great writer and storyteller with what he does. And it's just like, man, that makes me not even want to write a song. You know what I mean? So, you know, I had to find like what my thing was and, and, you know, ours was, you know, I, I remember signing my record deal and going into the, the head of the label and just being like, okay, here's the way I, here's the way I see this happening. Right. And I'm, you know, a 27 year old kid that really has no idea what I'm talking about either. either. You know, so I go in and I'm sitting here talking to these guys and I'm like, to me, this is pretty simple, right? This is the way it should go. I'm going to go cut the record. If you can get the songs played on the radio, I promise I'll go take care of the rest of it. You know, cause I just felt like going out in live was where I was going to win people over. And, um, and man, so we went out and it was just like full on rock show. You know what I mean? And, and that was kind of our thing was like, when you come see us, if you like the records, cool. But when you come see us live, that's where we're going to hook you. And so that kind of became our thing. But, it's just hard, man. It's, there's so many great artists in town, and trying to set yourself apart from everybody is is really tough, man. Because in the in the beginning, you have so many new artists. And when I hit the scene, it was like, you know, me and Miranda and Church and Carrie and Luke, and like it, it was just a ton of us. And it's like, man,
0: the stars of the format. Yeah, now.
2: and it's like, but there was, but there was for all the ones, you know, for all of us that ended up having a good career, there was a lot more of them. They just sort of fell off, you know, and and just kind of were gone. And, you know, I mean, I remember opening shows for guys that, like, aren't even around. Like, I haven't heard anything out of them in ten years now, you know. So it was just like, man, you know, what? how do you sort of keep your head above all these other people? And it's tough. I mean, but.
0: There has to be that seminal decision, though. There had to have been a moment because, like you said, a lot of those guys get gone, okay. I can remember when you guys came in, when that, when your Class, let's call it class. When Ooh. your class came in, ladies dominated the format. It was a female-dominated era right. of country music, and you come in with Hicktown, and it's this whole other thing. You talking about <laughs> butt cracks and palm malls, like John Rich, right there. Yeah, yeah, okay, I thought so. Yeah, so it, it was this whole thing off the reservation, and I can. My wife's in here with us. I can remember saying to Laney, "I don't know what the hell this is." But this is good.
2: It was so different, man. It was but just... what
0: was the reaction from the industry? Like, is this going to work? What, how did that go?
2: I, don't, I just don't think they really knew what, what, what it was going to do, you know? I mean, I had I had, had a deal on Capitol Records, and I was over there for about a year and got dropped from the label before I'd ever even recorded one song, so they really didn't even know what I did. Um And then, you know, we went over and just, yeah. And so we went, you know, (laughs) I I ended up signing with this little independent label, Broken Bow Records, that, you know, a lot of people in town sort of laughed at when I said I was going to sign there because they were unproven. Yeah. They were unproven at the time. And, and it was just like, man, at that point, I just needed somebody to give me a shot and to go, you know, to show what I could do really. And so, um, you know, it just, when we came out with Hicktown, it was, it was almost like making a statement of like, this is, you know, this is what we do, and it's not like all these other people. But then it was like, then the new artist started coming out after that and started kind of trying to emulate a little bit of the big guitars and that big sound that we were, you know, coming up with. And honestly, when I go back and listen to Hicktown now, it sounds like a really dated record to me. When In what I, way? When I listen to that record, and then I put on, like, you know, lights come on or something, something that we've done recently. And I listen to the, the difference in the sound and how much it's, it's grown and Mature. sort of gotten. Yeah. And it's just really, I don't know. It's just what we thought was really mean and like cool and, and nasty back then is like pretty wimpy actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I listen to the stuff now and I'm like, man, now this is cool, but I thought that was cool at the time. It was really not that cool. You know, for us, it was, uh, at the time it was, it was different. It was different than anything that was out there and, um, you know, I tell people that about Dirt Road especially because they're like, it's easy to look at that song now and go, man, you know, I wish I would have cut that song. It's like, yeah, but at the time, you know, when we played that song for people, people were like, didn't know what to think about it at right. first. You know, it was like, that was really, you know, sort of us stepping outside the box a, a lot.
0: The refrain, like the chorus part is so well done. And then there's the, like, I can remember hearing that for the first time too, in my buddy's car. And I was like, because I love the whole thing about having a beer in the console. I love that whole thing, right? It's like, you're not supposed to do that. But boys from the country, we like having a beer in the console. We just do that. That's what we do, right. <laughs> and so, then, like, you know, okay, Jason Aldean is rapping. What do I think about this? But it was almost revolutionary. Yeah, it and was. And then you did, then you collaborated with Ludacris. Yeah. Which was a whole other thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I never thought, uh, I'd hear Ludacris you and Luda. rap with and use Kenny Rogers, but it was awesome. <laughs> I know. Um, but you know, it was man. It was that song was really sort of a, you know, something that that really stood apart and, and sort of became this, you know, this sort of anthem for for people our age, you know. And and it was just it was really cool. And it's easy to listen to that now and go, oh yeah, that was a hit. But at the time, trust me, my record company was nervous. What
0: did they say? And that was who was that? Brantley Gilbert. Brantley
2: Gilbert and Colt Ford and Colt wrote Ford, it. Ford, yeah. Right.
0: I want to cut this.
2: I didn't even know Brantley at the time, honestly. I, I knew Colt and he had, um, he had been on tour with me some. And so I had heard him singing the song every night on stage and I was like, yeah, it's cool. Whatever. My producer was the one that brought the idea up to me about, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think we need to cut this song because we, he had already brought me my kind of party, which, you know, Brantley had cut on a record or something and I'd never even heard of it. Um, cause Brantley was still playing like colleges and stuff like down in Georgia, but I had no idea who he was. I just thought he was a songwriter. And, um, so we had my kind of party got pitched to me and I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, we should cut this. And then my producer said, you know, and here's this other thing, the same guy that wrote that wrote this. And I was like, yeah, I heard Colt sing that sometime, you know, on the road or whatever. And so, you know, we cut it and, and really the challenge was to sit down and how do we cut this and make it sound like me? Because you know on their version you had cold on it and brantley and like it was just it sounds nothing like our version so how do we make this us and so we took it in there and you know it's one of those things where i think the label was just kind of like this is cool but what do we do with it you know i I don't there you know
0: seems to be a theme yeah
2: it's a lot easier to throw up a you know fastball than it is to throw up a you know slider so it's you know, it was just one of those things where I think they liked it. They weren't really sure what it was or what to do with it. And I wanted it to be the first single from the record. And I wanted to just come out and just, pfft, here it is, you know, and yes. And so the label, you know, they wanted to take a little bit of a safer route as far as like putting out some. They wanted to get the album established and then, you know, then drop Dirt Road on them. So I think we did Party, um, maybe the ballad the the kelly ballad maybe and then dirt road or something like that but it was it was a couple songs in to where you know the album was starting to gain some steam and we were you know we were still sort of rolling from the previous album so we were just gaining speed with every single and then when that thing hit it was just it was over but it was you know everybody was nervous for sure to put that out and even me i mean I, i thought it was cool and the way i always looked at songs like that was you know i think my friend's would dig this. Like if I was riding around with all my boys, I think that they would like this song. And that was the only way I could really gauge stuff. And so, um, I just, you know, I thought people would like it, but you know, you're still a little nervous when you're putting stuff like that out because it is extremely different than anything. And, and sometimes radio programmers and stuff like that. I mean, you have some that, that sort of see, you know, kind of see it and then You know, some of them are a little old school where they don't really want to shake it up too much and they like the more traditional stuff.
0: Let's shift gears to the national championship game.
2: Still, I know that you were on
0: the sideline with your beloved Georgia Bulldogs. You over it yet?
2: I'm over it. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, it was, it was rough. That was a rough one to watch, but you know, the thing that I was happy about was that at least they showed up. They played. They, you know, it was a game one thing I didn't want to happen was them to get blown out. You know, Georgia fans waited a long time to get in that game, man. So, um, I just wanted it to be a good game and, and obviously wanted to win, but, uh, but it was fun, man. It was cool. I was glad I got a chance to go. It was just a great atmosphere there and, I had my wife; she's there, and she graduated from Alabama. So, I didn't
0: know that. Did yeah, she really?
2: Yeah, she graduated from Bama, and so she's over on the Georgia sidelines with all her Bama gear, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was waiting on her to kick us out, but um it was really cool. We had actually gone to the national championship the year before when it was Clemson and, and Alabama. Another great game. And I, I was there too. I yeah, I, to both of. I, I took her to that game, and just again because she's an Alabama fan, and so uh, she had never been to the national championship. So I took her and. And, you know, Alabama lost that heartbreaker. So fast forward the next year, we go, and my team loses a heartbreaker. So we've both kind of been there and, and felt that. But the thing I'll say, I think Georgia's definitely a team on the rise, and, and you know, it ain't going to be their last trip there. So I'm just excited for what Kirby's brought to the table over there and, and sort of the way he's sort of changed that whole culture of football. And uh, it's been, been fun to watch.
0: All optimism now. Oh, for sure. I mean, that recruiting class – is it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, it's, we well, it used to, you know, Georgia would be, you know, ranked high at the start of the season and, you know, but as a Georgia fan, you're like, mm. you're like, maybe, but we're going to lose four games. I mean, it's just three or four games. We're going to lose them and we'd be preseason ranked number one and somehow lose three going, you know, I don't, I don't even know how you do that, but we would. And so. To what
0: do you attribute the difference? Is Man, it
2: coaching? I think so. I mean I think it's just uh like I said, it's just sort of changing the whole dynamic of the way they think, you know. It's just like um you know, and and don't get me wrong, I was a fan of Mark Rick. I I thought he was a great guy. I met him a couple times and and uh you know, I think he's a great coach. I think you know, he's sometimes well Miami. Yeah, sometimes things just kinda of get stale and you need somebody to come in and shake it up a little bit. And I think Kirby sort of comes from uh, you know, obviously comes from that saving school where he's, he gets fired up, man. And, and I think sometimes you need that, especially with college kids, like you need somebody to sort of, you know, light a fire under their ass a little bit and not be, you know, okay, now you can't miss that block again. Like yeah, you yeah. need somebody getting up there in your face and like making a statement, you know, and I think Kirby's really good at that. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been cool to just see the whole, a different culture of football there, you know, for me because I think, uh, I think they've been missing that for a while.
0: So we got about five minutes left, and I want to get into Route 91 with you. Okay. I want to discuss the emotion of that with you because I can't fathom it. So for those of you listening who don't know, when the terrible shooting happened in Las Vegas at the Route 91 Festival, Jason was on stage playing. He was the featured artist that night. And I can't imagine what the aftermath of that has been like for you and how you've managed and compartmentalized that emotion. So – how would you describe that?
2: Man, it's, you know, I think that's one of those things that I, you know, I don't even know if I, I could do it justice if I tried to, to, to describe it, you know, it was just a crazy night. I mean, it's, you know, probably the worst, absolutely the worst night of my life. And, you know, it's so weird, something that I've done a million times, be on stage and I'm playing my songs and do my thing and all of a sudden I just hear a, a popping like a crackle and... And I think a guitar amp's blown, or like a something's going out, like somebody's equipment's messed up. So, you know, I kind of start looking around because I'm com- I'm just confused. I don't I don't know what's happening. And so I start. My security guy comes running out on stage and basically telling me to get down. And and I still don't have a clue what we're
0: what, we're, never what we're doing That's or, or why I'm,
2: why I'm, why everybody's panicking. I have no idea. So I just kind of turn and follow him off the stage and you know take off. And I get over there to the side of the stage and I. You know, pull my monitor, ear monitors out and I'm like, what is, what, what's the deal? Like what's going on? And all of a sudden I heard it again, pa, 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 pa. And so, you know, we're ducked down, uh, behind some road cases on the side of the stage. And, and so my wife was there who was seven months pregnant at the time. So, you know, I immediately, once I heard that it was gunfire, started looking for her. And so I just kind of popped up and, and was like, where, you know where she at. and and so cause she had some friends there so she was hanging out in in one of the tents like backstage and and so um about that time she came running out between two of the buses and I sent my uh my production manager went down there and grabbed her and brought her up to where we were and and Mary just you know, he just laid there and, and just tried to wait it out and, and so, but you didn't know. I mean, we, we didn't know if somebody was on the ground backstage and, and we were just kind of laying there, sitting ducks or whatever. So all I could think was that we got to get inside somewhere. And so I told my security guy, I said, when he stops, run for the bus. And so when he stopped, we took off and, and went to the bus and, and kind of locked into the bus. I put her, uh, in the back of the bus and, and then just kind of started communicating with, with the security guy. But, you know, it's just crazy, man. You just didn't know what was going on. We, we ended up staying on that bus for hours and hours and hours and, and, uh, really turned on the news. And that's kind of where I was getting my information. I mean, we were getting some of it over the radio, but, um, you know, it was just, it was rough, man. It was just a rough night and, and anybody that was there. It's just, it's, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, you almost feel like it didn't happen sometimes, like it was a just a bad dream or whatever. And um, you know, but it did, and it, it just man, the thing for me that that I hate so much is the fact of of all the the victims, like the families and and all, everybody that's still kind of dealing with the fallout of that stuff because it it was rough. But and the one thing I'll say is we got off tour, uh, you know, I don't know about a month later, and uh, getting back on stage was hard. I mean, it was it was that was kind of rough. Our first show was in Tulsa and you know, it was a lot of nerves and a lot of just sort of, I don't know, just the unknown of like, man, you know, like I want to go out there. I don't know if my legs are actually going to let me walk to my microphone tonight, you know? So it was, uh it was some of that kind of stuff going on. And, and um, you know, when the tour was over, we really, I mean, I kind of went underground for a while. I just kind of stayed at the house and hung out. My son was born about, was born two months to the day after that. So that was a blessing, obviously just because he's, you know, healthy baby and and was born at all. But, uh, the fact that it really gave me and my wife something to focus our attention on and sort of not sit there and just constantly relive it all consuming for you. Yeah. I mean, it's just something like, you know, for, you know, for a couple of weeks, or a month or so after that, it's just like, man, you just, you know, wake up and in the middle of the night thinking about that stuff and just, you know, just always on your mind, you know, it's just like, man, just reliving it every day, every day. And it just gets to a point where it's, you know, it's not good. I mean, it's not, not good to sit there and think about that stuff all the time. So once he was born, it kind of gave us something else to sort of channel our energy into and, and focus on. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, it's something that I'll, you know i'll never forget that night i mean i'll never forget what happened and it'll be something that is with me for the rest of my life and everybody who was there i'm sure feels the same way but it's also not something that you know when it's all said and done it's not something that i want to let define my life or my career you know it was something that happened one night it was horrible and um you know you know i'm I'm proud of of the way like my guys and, and, you know, my crew and my family and everybody who was there sort of has dealt with it because it's, you know, they've all done really good job and it, it, you know, with it, because it was, it was tough on all those guys, you know I mean? My front of house guys are out in the crowd and just watching, you know, watching people getting mowed down out there. And it was just, you know, they saw some things that I didn't see. So, you know, it was kind of tough for, for everybody. And and I think everybody's done a, a really good job of handling that and, and, um, you know, the survivors of that we talked to that were in the hospital. I mean, just the spirits they were in, you know, it was just amazing to, to sort of see how they, you know, how they were kind of dealing with that stuff and, uh, you know, laying there in bed and, and really can't move with bullet holes in them and sitting there laughing and cutting up and just being thankful that they were there and it was it was pretty cool to to see that and I think that helped me a lot just kind of going and talking to some of those guys but um you know it was definitely one of those things like I said I you know I'll never forget that ever
0: well I want you to know this music is a universal healing tool and I know sometimes when you're out there playing all the time it's hard to conceptualize that it's hard to look at it that way but They were there to see you. Yeah. Right? Like, you playing that music is a healing tool for them.
2: Yeah. it it, You know, it it was. And, you know, for me, it was after the fact. It was like, you know, you knew you had to – like, I knew I had to go back and start playing music. But it's this thing of like, you know, I I knew I wasn't going to play the following weekend because I was like, man, there's no way we're going to get back on stage. I felt like that would be, you know, almost like – I don't know. Just – like we weren't being, we weren't sympathizing enough at that point. You know what I mean? Like it, that would have been sort of, um, rude, almost like disrespectful? disrespectful. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. So disrespectful, you know, and, and I just, I, I don't think any of us were ready to do that. You know, I kind of had to step out and, you know, we got the call from, uh, from Lauren Michaels at Saturday night live asking, will we come and do the show? Um, and this was two days after it ha you know, two or three days after it happened. And so my response to that was, if I can say what I want to say and you let me play what I want to play, I'll come do it. I don't want you, I didn't want anybody writing my words for me or telling me which songs I had to play. I'm like, if you can, you know, Tom Petty died that week too. And I was just like, man, if if I can do this my way, then, you know, I'll come do it because honestly, you know, I really didn't want to do any, I mean, I, I really just kind of, I was at home with my family and, and had only been there for a couple of days. I, you know, had my daughters there and, um, you know, just, I was really just kind of like, at that point I knew I was home, I was safe. And like, I, I would have been fine not leaving the house for a year at that point. But, um, but I knew, you know, that I had to go out and, and sort of step up and, and say something and, and sort of go ahead and get the. The ball rolling. It was almost like, you know, for me to go out and tell everybody, okay, it's okay to like move on and, and do these things. And so, uh, I was really glad after the fact that I had a chance to do that. And, and, uh, I think that, you know, helped us a ton. And it was, uh, there was a lot of people, man, that, that gave us a lot of support and sort of reached out to us during that time that, that really helped everybody out a lot. So, oh. so for everybody that did that, I, I really appreciate it. Who? Oh. I mean, name it. Any artist. I mean, any artist from, You 2 to uh you know mcgraw and i mean anybody so it was just ashton kutcher i mean just people random people like that and lorne michaels the people at at saturday night live i mean they were so cool to us when we went there and you know i'd never played the show before they didn't you know i didn't know any of those people and when we walked in it was just like you know they had a lot of respect for us for being there and what we had gone through and, and treated us like like royalty there. So I, I'm really thankful for that. And, um, just man, like I said, you name it. I mean, my phone blew up for three days after that, you know, people reaching out and, and just checking on us and making sure we were okay. And, and, um, you know, and it, it just helped. I mean, it helped a lot to know that that many people you know actually cared enough to to sort of reach out and, and check on us and you know because artist wise I mean that could have been anybody up there you know what I mean it just it just happened to be my my time slot my night but you know the night before it would have been uh church Sam or Hunt. Sam Hunt yeah. and the night before that it was a ch- church I think was the first night so you know just it could have been any of those guys and so um you know I thought it was cool that people reached out like they did
0: I can't thank you enough. Yeah, man. Thank you for your time. and Thanks, for, ma- thanks for having me on your first, first
2: one, breaking this you, bad brother. boy in for you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, Marty.
0: Really appreciate Jason taking the time to come on and share his story with us. I was so impressed with what he had to say and, and fulfilled by having that time with him. It was fantastic. And I also just want to take a moment to thank Field and Stream. That's one of Jason's partners. And he had an event with them down in Greenville, South Carolina, and they actually called us to come hang out with Jason. That's kind of how the interview happened. So thank you to Field and Stream and everybody involved in putting that together. Uh, now we're going to transition into what will likely become a weekly feature. We love our callers. And anybody who's listened to Marty and McGee in the past knows that the callers are hilarious. And so why not have it in the Marty Smith's America podcast? So here's what you need to do. Subscribe to the Marty Smith's America podcast. You need to subscribe, rate, and review. And in that review, send us a note. Tell us what you think about the world. Music, sports, culture. Maybe we'll have you on. And not only that, we also set up a number. You can call us and leave us a message to tell us what you think about the world. Here's the number. Write it down. Get out your pen and paper. 860 516 one five again eight six oh five one six thirteen fifteen call us leave us a message leave us your number if you're funny we may just call you we may randomly call you to be on the Marty Smith's America podcast because we like random it's just what we do now I want to I want you guys to hear the first excerpt the first installment of the call in this is our boy Layton Smith he's a shop teacher from down in Texas he calls into the Marty and McGee program and he makes our Saturday mornings. He is the program. He is Marty and McGee. Listen to this: words,
3: sayings, or just a way of life.
0: The bowl cut plus the mullet, the
3: bullet. <laughs> this is Hillbilly-isms. Last night, uh, I was at the rodeo, and uh, and they did the entry, the little the little video deal, and it was Old George Lucas up there singing uh, "Party with what? Your Boots On." And, uh, and I said, hey, I thought, I, I sat there with what? my wife and I said, hey, looky there. I, 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 I didn't had I was behind there, I was in front of that guy last week on the radio. How about that?
1: <laughs> you can't make it up, man. So
3: wait.
0: No, That is it was, impossible. So George Dukas is playing the rodeo at which you're drinking cold beer. This is accurate. Yeah, right? well,
3: yeah, That, that's yeah, very accurate. 100%. <laughs> so
1: what, so, so what, you, you're, are you a rodeo guy? What's your, if you got a favorite event, or you just like it all? Oh,
3: I mean all of it. All of it's pretty good. I I, I do enjoy the old steer wrestling, old roping, you know, and that. Uh, I used to work down at the King Ranch uh, a couple of years ago. Well, back when I was in college, but I worked there for four years, and you know, I'd ride my horse and ro- rope some calves, and, and that's where. I, right now, I'm out picking feeding my calves right now.
0: What about, the, what about when those little kids? Uh, what about when those little kids wrangle them sheep? That's hilarious. Oh man, Watching hey, those little kids wrangle
3: hey, hey, sheep. Last night there was there was a couple of them. And one of one of them little old kids wanted to be a pharmacist, and I didn't even know they knew what that was. But one of them little boys he <laughs> did, he wrote it he wrote it down to the end, and it started going back. And uh, I don't even think I could have held on that long.
1: Yeah, they, I, they, are you? Have you been? A, are you a steer wrestler? Will you jump? Will you? Will you launch, I, launch it off the I horse? And...
3: I have done it a few times. I, I I'm not going to claim I'm a professional by any means. That one like time on was purpose? an accident. Well, yeah, one time was on purpose. One time was on accident. What? <laughs>
1: Why, why does, that doesn't that really.
0: How does that me. happen on accident? How does one get into the situation where that is an accident?
1: <laughs> Explain well, that I, for me, brother. Yeah, when we'd work
3: <laughs> on Saturday, we on the weekend we'd have to come in early, you know, Saturday morning. and then Fridays, you know, Friday afternoons were exciting, and uh, you know, you would be awake but asleep on your horse. And I was riding the pen one day and. It, I I I, I guess I you know I fell asleep and I fell on top of a calf, and so that was my accidental tattoo wrestling story.
1: So you you fell asleep? You didn't? It wasn't wasn't like the movies. You weren't John Wayne. You you went to sleep. It was you know. Oh
3: my gosh! After being out so late on Friday nights and getting up now to ride a horse, ride ten, you know it gets kind of tough. (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey but seven. talking about hey, John Wayne. Tread lightly on right? that whiskey, now, son. Tread, tread lightly on that whiskey. We don't need I to know. get into it with any calves, buddy. Hey, talking about old John Wayne. I uh, I did have a, I had me a accident one time. I was, we were working some calves, and a chute broke down, and I had to crawl in there and get it. The calf ended up getting through one of the gates and and run into me, and I busted a. Gash above my eyeball, on my on my eyebrow, and I had to wear a dang uh, eye patch.
0: All right, so that is a <laughs> microcosm of our Saturday mornings. Oh. That was our boy Leighton Smith. He's a shop teacher down in Texas, oh. and he likes to call us on Saturday mornings and just impart wisdom, and that was his wisdom about not being drunk on top of a horse because you just might fall off said horse on to a calf.
1: That little, that couple, few minutes right there, that's that's Marty McGee in a nutshell.
0: That is who we are. And uh, I, get, just get ready, guys, because that's probably, if not a weekly occurrence, it's going to be a semi-weekly occurrence on the Marty Smith's America podcast because Layton is a gem. He is a treasure for all of us. You, you can't make it up. That's our people, son. I love every one of them. And I appreciate you hanging out, brother. Thank you for being a part of the first ever. Marty Smith America podcast. We'll do it again. Just may as well get used to it. You're, I'm, glad, I mean,
1: I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: And I'm I telling you, I, I couldn't do this. If I couldn't do the first one without
1: you, man. Because because uh, we're just so y'all know, we're still going to do our deal too.
0: Oh yeah, every, you can every, every Saturday, Saturday morning. morning. Yeah, I'm in every Saturday morning. Thank you guys for listening so much. We really appreciate Jason Aldean taking the time to hang out and and tell us his story and. Uh, It was really fulfilling for me, and I appreciate producer Travis. Appreciate that, his hard work, sweetening it up, making it sound nice. Mike Urinaga and Luis Cornetta from ESPN Radio. And my TV producer, Jonathan Wiley. You guys will hear more from him coming up, especially here in a couple weeks when we have Tiger Woods on as our guest. Jonathan and I have been all over the world together, so we have plenty of stories to share. Can't wait to share those with you guys. And that's it. That's it for the first ever Marty Smith's America podcast. Please subscribe, please rate us well, and please review us. Leave us a message. Maybe we'll read it on the next program. And speaking of that next program, my guest is Jalen Rose. We'll talk Fab Five, Final Four, and who knows what else. That's it for the first Marty Smith's America podcast. We'll see you next week.